Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So we see in this passage, um, it's the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And I wanted to focus over the next few minutes on this interplay of power and struggle between Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, and Jesus. What can we learn from this passage? Well, firstly, it seems to be if at all power, we can tell, we can see that all power and authority ultimately are in the hands of God. Jesus chooses to be the final Passover lamb. And in John's book, in this passage in John 19, we see John illuminates the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's suffering servant, where it said that Jesus will be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can recount his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. And the main point that I'd like to draw out today from the passage is the fact that Jesus remains silent in the face of such provocation, that he was provoked in every possible way. And we're going to look at that this morning. 
under such extreme provocation, he remains silent. And if you've ever seen, been to a farm as a child and seen a lamb, a little lamb being manhandled into a, a narrow gateway where they hold the lamb down and they shear its wool, this lamb is totally helpless, totally helpless, pinioned in order for it to be sheared. And, and Isaiah uses this powerful metaphor, like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. He did not open his mouth. In this passage, we track Pilate's journey of uncertainty, confusion, frustration, fear, and finally, he gives Jesus up to be crucified. Pilate has this dilemma between what is right and wrong. And in John's Gospel, we see John uses often images that are contrasting, like dark and light, truth and lies, above and below. And in this passage, the trial scene is unique as Jesus remains predominantly silent. Jesus' teaching and time of ministry have come to an end at the age of 33. He is now silent and he submits to the will of God. John's account of the trial is the most detailed in the Gospels, as John narrates it in seven units, which start in chapter 18. And there's this alternating pattern that's quite poetic and rhythmic of outside in the courtyard, Jesus being questioned. Inside, Jesus is questioned. Then Pilate takes him outside and asks the crowd, what do you want? And then inside, where are you from? Are you from earth or from heaven? And then outside, again, giving the crowd, handing responsibility over to the crowd. You, here is your king. You decide. What will you do with him? And this structure, I think, is intended to remind us that Pilate is really uncertain and doesn't know what he's doing. He's inside. He's outside. He's inside. He's outside. It's back and forth, back and forth. And there's this, this is a battle going on, a tug of war between Pilate's conscience. And in Matthew 24, we read this. When Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat to make his decision about Jesus, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. And in this picture, which obviously is the artist's interpretation, on the right-hand side here we see a lady wearing a gold bracelet, considerably um, more wealthy than the others, who we can imagine might be Pilate's wife. And we see his hands are tied. When I zoomed in, you could zoom in on the face of the crowd through that barrier. Hundreds and hundreds of people, we don't know how many people were in the crowd that day, shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Only days before, they'd been worshipping him. And the crowd and the mob turn on Jesus. They turn on him. Pilate is trying to satisfy the Jews' desire for Jesus to be punished. So he orders Jesus to be flogged. And in Roman law, there were three types of flogging. Three levels of severity of flogging. Mild, immediate, medium, and severe. And so Pilate orders Jesus to receive the first type of flogging, which was quite mild in comparison to the third. 
Not as, a, as, an, as an alternative to crucifixion, not as an accompaniment. Pilate was thinking, I'll have Jesus flogged and that will satisfy the Jewish authorities. Then maybe I can release him. But the Jews wanted death. The Jews needed Jesus to die because his claim to be king, his claim to be king challenged and undermined and made them scared. He threatened their power. The power of Jesus, the power, his rightful claim to be king. Paul, Pilate's failure to release Jesus causes the Jewish leaders to bring a new charge of blasphemy. Jesus claims to make himself the son of God. And in bringing this charge to Pilate, the Pharisees and the chief priests are not abandoning their accusation that Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews, but they're supporting it with a religious charge that is serious enough to warrant the death penalty. This new charge betrays the real reason for the chief priest's desire for his death. And so having been flogged, the, the soldiers come up with a mock game of ki mock king, which actually imitates the pantomimes that the Romans used to watch at Christmas time, where they would put a robe on someone and a crown on them and go, oh, so you're the king, are you? It's not a new thing. They're taking the drawing from their own culture of pantomime. But in this case, they make a crown of thorns, probably as a, a spontaneous desire for cruel fun. They weave together a crown, which is made from palm thorns, which can be up to 12 inches long. These aren't the English brambles we see in our countryside. They are weapons, these thorns, huge that were pushed down on Jesus' head. The soldiers kneel in front of him. Hail, King of the Jews! In a mock greeting that would have been given to the emperor, would have been an, a mock of Ave Caesar. We worship you, we honour you. Surely this is the cruelest form of torture. A pretense at tribute to a king who was worthy of the title king of the Jews. It strikes right at the heart of the truth that Jesus is the rightful king. And still, Jesus does not open his mouth to defend himself. He does not open his mouth. He submits. He submits. It says in verse 8 of the passage, if we just go back to the passage, the Jews, Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. We haven't, but we haven't heard he was afraid. So where does the even more? Why is he even more afraid? Well, in this culture, in this culture at this time, it was not unusual for... Um, a God to take human form. That wasn't an unusual concept in Roman culture and in Roman belief. You know, the gods, we, we read, don't we, in classical civilization at school, Zeus, you know, taking human form. So Pilate was thinking, oh no, what? What if this man is a messenger from God? What will happen to me if I sentence this man to death? And he is a messenger of God. Will I release the wrath of the gods upon myself if I sentence this man? He became even more 
afraid. Pilate is trapped. He's pressure. He's being squeezed by both sides. He's got the Jewish authorities saying, crucify him. The crowd, crucify him. And then Jesus, he can find no reason to sentence him to death. He finds no sin in him. And so Pilate says, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus speaks. And for me, this is the crux of the whole passage when Jesus speaks. You, Pilate, would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You would have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. I don't know if you've ever been in an employment situation where you're falsely accused, where you you come under false accusation. It can be a very painful and wounding experience to be accused of something, and you know you're innocent. Poppy and I were watching on a lighter note, Paddington Bear, where Paddington Bear is accused, and he's sentenced, and he goes into prison, and he's innocent. He's tried of a crime that he hasn't, he hasn't committed. He's convicted of a crime he hasn't done. How many of us, if we were convicted of something we hadn't done, would go, it's not fair. I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. Jesus remains silent. Why? Why? Because of his love. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. He remains silent in order to take our sin, our guilt, my guilt, my selfishness, my pride, my anger, my self-centeredness on himself. He remains silent because of his love for you and me. When the Jews shout, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar, they're pulling a bit of a trump card on Pilate. They're pulling a bit of a dirty trick on him, really, because Pilate, as we know, represents the most powerful nation on earth, the Roman Empire. Powerful and brutal at the same time. He's conscious of possessing authority that has been delegated to him from the most powerful ruler, at that time, the most powerful ruler on earth, Caesar, who demanded homage, who demanded subservience, and you were very careful what you did in front of Caesar. If you put a step out of place, off with your head, or worse, a slower method of death. And so Pilate has to be careful. Pilate had been put in place by his peer, who was... His mentor, Sejanus, who was commander of the Praetorian Guard, and Sejanus made a mistake, put a foot wrong, um, offended Caesar, and was executed at this time, just before this. And so Pilate's fear 
is real. And so when the Jews say, we have no king but Caesar, and you, anyone who claims to be a king, opposes Caesar, they're pulling a trump card. They're saying, if you let Jesus go and he claims to be king, we will tell Caesar, we will report it back to Caesar that you have let this man go. And that would be seen as disloyal to the Roman emperor. And Pilate is scared. He is afraid. It's all very ironic. And John, one of his traits in John's gospel, is he uses irony a lot. He's very ironic. He probably had quite a, a good sense of humor. But in this sense, it wasn't funny. It's ironic and tragic. The Jewish leaders of all people provoke the Roman governor in this way. They didn't enjoy being ruled and tyrannized by the Romans. They didn't want the Roman emperor. In fact, many Jews were expecting the Messiah to come to overturn the Roman Empire with violence. They were waiting for a Messiah who was a militaristic hero who would ride in on a horse, a white horse with a sword and say, I have come to, to depose the Roman emperor. I am taking over from here. I'm going to overthrow this tyranny. And so some Jews were like, this is not the Messiah that we're waiting for. This is not the Messiah that we want. We have no king but Caesar, a brutal, a brutal man. Really? Is he the king they really want? They choose, they would choose Caesar over Jesus. Pilate has his own way of getting back at the Jews. Notice this power play between these two groups. Here is your king. Here is your king, verse 14. And it was noon. And it was outside. If you Google it, there's pictures of the stone pavement that they think might be the very place. that It's, a, it's, a, it's fallen into disrepair now. It's, it's so old. But the stone pavement outside where they believe Jesus was sentenced. And John notes the day, the time, and the hour because it was the time when the Passover lamb was due to be sacrificed. The Passover lamb. The Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And Passover was the time when they sacrificed the Lamb, and they took the blood, and they put it over the lintels, remember? And the angel of death passed over, and they're remembering it. But this was the time when the Lamb of God, the one perfect sacrifice, was being made. Pilate gets his revenge. Here is your king. We have no king but Caesar. And finally, Pilate hands Jesus over to be crucified. What did Jesus go through for us? This is not all of it. This is just some of it. The crown of thorns, the suffering, the mockery, the humiliation, the exhaustion. He just before this had been tried before the Sanhedrin the night before. So then he has to spend the night in custody. The next morning he faces Pilate. Pilate questions him, as we've seen multiple times. He's flogged. Then having sentenced him, Pilate says he'll be flogged again. The third, much more severe, which ripped, ripped him to pieces. Then he's forced to carry his cross up the Via Dolorosa. And having been there myself and walked the Via Dolorosa, it is not a short walk. It is a long walk 
up the Via Dolorosa, Dolorosa to the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. Exhausted, he's nailed to the cross and the separation from his father must have been the final devastating blow for our Lord. Isolation and loneliness. Isolation from his father God. And finally his death. Do you know that in our grief, Jesus is with us. In our sorrow, he knows our sorrow. He knows what it feels like to lose someone he loves. He identifies with us in all of our sorrows and trials and frustrations, in all of our loneliness and heartache, in all of our exhaustion and pain. He understands exactly how that feels because he has gone through it himself and remained silent. When he could have called 10,000 million angels to rescue him, he could have put on the greatest spectacle the world has ever seen of rescue, the greatest rescue. And yet we know that his death was the beginning of the end of Satan's power. That on that day that Jesus surrendered his life and said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit, that the beginning had begun. That Jesus, we read a verse that says he entered into hell and took the keys of hell and preached to those who had already died and said, it's over, it is finished. And on the third day, the women come to the tomb and find he is not there. He is not there. Why did he do it? For love. For the love of you and me. And this is the hope that we carry in us. In the last few months, last month, the group of us went into Hallfield Primary School with Easter in a box. You remember last year I brought it in and showed you? We unpacked the boxes and there was a crown of thorns and the nails. And one little boy said to me, but why did they do it to him? Why did he allow it? Why did he allow them to kill him? And when a child looks into your face and asks you that question, it's so moving, it's so challenging. And if Jesus died, why is there still war in the Ukraine, this little boy asked me. Why is there still suffering? Why, is my, why did my, my granddad die? Why, why is there still death? It's begun, but we're not there yet. We are in this in-between stage, aren't we? We are waiting for the revelation of the Spirit of God to break out upon the earth. And it says every eye will see and every ear will hear and every knee will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I get the impression that you won't have much choice about that when the time comes. I mean, we choose to follow Jesus, but every knee will bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So as we come to an end, I'd like to ask these questions. Who is the King? Lucas answered that question for us. He's the King of our hearts. He's the king of our hearts. But do we sometimes get squeezed? Squeezed, like Pilate. I feel a bit sorry for Pilate, if I'm honest. Some commentators say he became a Christian after this. We don't know that he and his wife became a Christians and was fired. But it's interesting to wonder, isn't it? What happened to Pilate after this? 
what do we allow? Do we, like Pilate, allow the crowd, social media, to influence us? Who holds the power and the influence over us? Do we allow peer pressure to squeeze us? Do we find ourselves, like Pilate, squeezed by the world around us? Who is the king? The crowd? The rulers and authorities who are bringing this pressure to bear? We know the answer to that question is Jesus. Is Jesus. But here are three things that we can do to try and stop ourselves from being squeezed by the world. Number one, fellowship with other believers. You can see people there holding hands, praying. Number two, reading the word of God daily. As a family, we've been listening, the four of us, to Lectio. So it reads, the Bible is read over us by Pete, Greg, and others. We, we sit under it, the four of us. We submit. Some of us find that harder than others. Sometimes I find it hard. We submit to hearing the word of God. We allow the word of God to transform our minds daily and be renewed. And we pray and we offer God our prayer and petition, don't we? 